Hello, welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori, and it is a Brother, Brother podcast. Although I did, um, I did see Christian Lewis this weekend and can confirm that he is still alive. So <laughs> there you go. Um, what is what is less alive than uh, our brother Christian is award shows this year. It's kind of a obviously everything is uh, you know modifying it uh, to. I think to, they're, they called it the new normal. Yeah, they they do. That was that was the old uh, phraseology for the new normal. But they, you know, I a couple months or a couple weeks ago, I watched the Golden Globes, which was uh, a a really terribly televised event and and kind of the seeds of I guess it was uh, what you learn from when you're trying to broadcast an award show because um, you know it was a very segmented and it felt um, very disjointed. I'm not going to go too deep into the Golden Globes because I think they're kind of a frivolous exercise anyway. But you watched the Grammys last week with uh, your daughter and. Um, we wanted to talk about that. One thing I did want to throw out um, just before we jump into our Grammy conversation is the the compressed schedule this year, uh, which is a very, very weird. You know, it, it they they tend to be a moving target. The um, you know a little bit they've they've you know experimented with shorter gestation period between the announcing the nominees and the awards themselves and. And different tweaks, but this year it was just weird because the Oscar nominations came out the day after uh, March Madness brackets came out, <laughs> and it was like it was overload. Um, but uh, you you sat down and watched the Grammys with with uh, your daughter, yeah, my ten year old daughter. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's funny that you mentioned Golden Globes, and then we'll, we'll talk about the Oscars a little bit too, and, and then I'll I'll touch on the Grammys here. I honestly, like, in general, um, you know, I do consume the Golden Globes normally and, and certainly the Oscars, and, and I've gotten, last couple years, just because my, my two daughters, they're both younger and into kind of pop music and stuff, have t- tuned in the Grammys and also the pod, but traditionally have not really given a shit about the Grammys as much, um, but this year in particular, like, I gotta say, like, I don't even know, I didn't even know the Golden Globes were happening, and that's not because I'm so out of touch or, or anything like that, it's just because it's just as one of those years, obviously. Well, the hype um, cycle kind of was muted, too, because... Yeah, it was. Usually... I think they were playing it down purposely to some degree, or, or maybe just because there's just, you know, um, it, it can't be a live event. But, um... Yeah. The Grammys, you know, aside from the stuff that we always complain about, just really odd categories, dated artists. I think, um, you know, the Strokes walked away with the rock album of the year, you know, just which is yeah. funny because we just did a pod on, on them. Um, you know, just weird shit that they just cannot ever seem to get right. Um, and, uh, you know, this year hosted by uh, Trevor Noah. And so it was... Um, you know, just really, again, compressed without the live audience. One thing I did like, though, was initially, and in the beginning, there was sort of this round-robin performance. Um, it was like it was like later with Jules Holland. and I, I Yeah, liked it. I, I really thought that, too. Yeah, it kind of looked like that. And it was, so you started with, I think, Harry Styles and who... Who kicked um, ass, I thought, did well. 
I thought he was good. Yeah, not a huge fan like you of, of the songs, but but good. And then um, you know, Dua I like Lupe. him. I don't like his music. That's a that's the weird. Um, yeah, he seems to have all the the stuff in terms of like looks, like uh, uh, sort of a flamboyancy. Yep, kind of fun. Um, but then the songs just are a bit flat. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of you know, like he all, and again, Joe that, Jonas want to bring back the rock star, but neither one of them quite has the. The, no, uh, and I would almost, I hate to admit it, I think the Joe Jonas songs are, are better. <laughs> They're catchier. Um, like, you know, my daughter knew Watermelon, whatever the hell it is, you know, the song. Watermelon Sugar. Sugar. Um, and, I, you know, I had no idea, and I honestly couldn't tell, I couldn't, you know, most times, even if it's a, a pop song that you don't like, the reason it's a popular pop song is because it sticks in your head in some way. Mm-hmm. God, that song has, like, no ability to stick in its head, in my head at all. Um but that aside, like I did think it really benefited some and, and, and kind of um, waned on others. Like the Heim performance was rocking, you know? I liked and, it. And, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. And probably a band that, like my daughter, for instance, is not as interested in seeing. She was highly anticipating BTS and um, she likes to do a Lupe and, and some others. But it was like, wow, you know, they can really play. So I think it was like a cool way for them to both show off their chops and, you know, kind of rip a, a really good performance and kind of a. Uh, I guess you'd call that like theater in the round type atmosphere. Well, they, um, they, they kind of predicated their performance on, on a bit of a gimmick, but the gimmick worked. It yeah, was, you know, and, it was, and it was cool. There are guitar, bass, and drums, and the guitarist rips, and the drummer rips, and the bassist rips, and then midway through like the song, sing. the singer who's the drummer gets up and starts playing guitar, and the guitarist who sings backup is uh, playing, playing stand up drums. drums. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it was very cool. And um, I think, too, there was something that I was curious if you, you caught this, too. Like, some of that type of thing benefited, I think, from not having a crowd, where I feel like Dua Lupe, who we both like a lot, or uh, Bad Bunny. Um, yeah, they really, were huge production numbers that didn't have. Yeah, that kind of failed without them. the audience, you know, flashing to the audience dancing, where the Heim performance, you know, <laughs> kind of excelled. Yeah, yeah, because you you got to see it sort of all in. And I think Harry Styles kind of split the difference there with having a full band. But even like the, um, God, I'm not remembering now, the Bruno Mars and uh, Anderson Pack. Oh, What's the name of their group? Silk Sonic. Silk Sonic, yeah. The Silk Sonic thing, which was fun and funny, but like, again, kind of fell a little flat without that participation. But I think what really fell flat was the, um, you know, sparsely tabled, you know, patio outside the Staples Center or whatever the hell they were, um, you know, just having, you know, Megan De Stallion and, and uh, you know, Beyonce awkwardly up there or whomever, um, you know, and, and, you know, like I mean, the, sort the of outdoor, like... The outdoor patio at the downtown L.A. Marriott? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like the Comfort Inn next to the Staples Center. <laughs> and it was, it was so grim. And so pointless, you know what I mean? Like, you should have just probably videotaped these folks. Or the people that were there got, you know, kept that sort of Jules Holland, like you mentioned, theater in the round type thing and, and gone with that. Um, because it was it was awkward. It was pointless. There was sort of like a, a um, you know, a really stupidly, like, 
over-the-top masking of everybody, you know, and I'm not not at all against masking. Everybody should wear masks, but this was obviously an area where, you know, you could hug each other without a mask on stage, but then you're going to go back to your table and be 10 feet apart with masks on. It didn't make yeah, any it sense. Yeah, was, it was, they were trying you know? to make a statement, and it was a little... It, the funny thing was is that I've heard other people say that it was great that it was pared down to just the stars, um, which is an interesting take on that. I, I don't. Yeah. I agree. I'm not totally against that, but it just didn't work for everybody, which was was the thing. And, and I think too that like it, it, it did take. Did me you catch 40, Megan Stallion? Like, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it did take me like 40 uh, isolation shots of Beyonce's table to remember that that was Jay Z sitting there. Oh <laughs> right. Well, that's what I mean by the mask thing. It was just sort of silly because um, you know again like. Yes, please wear masks and be safe. But like, obviously, then you you get on stage and Beyonce and, and Megan Thee Stallion are you know de- are hugging without masks on. You know, it just doesn't make much sense. So Jay Z, who you know didn't take his off, and if it was a statement, great. But like at the same time, yeah, you're like, who is that? Or, or like, is that Dua Lupe? Who is this? And yeah. then just kind of the the I thought the Beyonce getting up for that was one of the most awkward award handoffs ever by the way did you catch that or was that something you skipped it was I know a, you were going one where back she and forth between the Celtics game probably and the Grammys the all-star game it played against all-star the all-star game that's right yeah it was the all-star game um you know what I uh I didn't really I kind of caught it but I wasn't focused enough I I did see where she got some you know they were trying to make a milestone out of the fact that she had won more Grammys than anybody else yeah which was kind of cool but then it was just sort of like you know one of those times where it was like one star's spotlight and then they had to go on about the other star um and it was just awkward and I mean same with you know there was some blowback for Billie Eilish who won again um with everything I wanted and, you know, she had said, like, you know, it's Megan's night and, and um, you know, sort of, like, kind Def- of passing the award. And, and people yeah. just have way too much fucking time on their hands because all of a sudden she was, she, you know, <laughs> I guess in an attempt to vilified. be yeah. woke was vilified for being, you know, too too woke or something. I, yeah, and, it, and I didn't, I mean, I don't know if it came across like that or not. Personally, it didn't seem to be, but, like... Um, yeah, it just seems like it was one of those things where I think if they had kept it a little more contained, because it started off very tight, and I was actually impressed um, that they were sort of pulling it off, and then it just got back to that you know boring ass award show that it, it always tends to be, but in a Marriott courtyard. Well, um, even the, the you know I'm not a Trevor Noah fan person, you know particularly. I don't think he's very funny. Um, I agree. I, I, th- I didn't think he did I a bad he was job. Capable though. as a host. Um, yeah. And facilitating things, um, and I liked that you know tracking shot at the beginning of the show where they you know went through and you know sort of made it feel like it had some forward motion. Um, you know, I thought that was uh, I think you know they they what they did I think is um, learn from the mistakes of, of the Golden Globes, which were incredibly static and disjointed and not fun. And at least this seemed like it was a little bit. Which of is fun. normally a fun show, you know. Yeah. The other thing, and I, I will not remember the guy's name, but the same person's been producing that award show, the Grammys, for like f- 40 years. And yeah. they changed up finally. So we didn't have that fallback uh, or default setting of young star, established performer, you know, that b- leads us to the Taylor Swift, a Stevie Nicks debacle, or, right. you know, Eros or Red Hot Chili Peppers and Post Malone. Um, yeah, Run DMC and, and um, Aerosmith. 
Well, uh, even their contemporaries, kind of, you know. At least right, that's true. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. usually just some off the wall pairing, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, Linda Ronstadt and Billie Eilish. You know, it's like they they don't do it. They yeah. don't work together. No, they really um, don't. And it it's always feels forced and a little bit silly, and it's a little bit embarrassing for the person who's you know, the veteran. And uh, I don't know. It just. Um, you know, again, they, no, I would cool. say the Grammys has become kind of a pretty decent, um, or I mean, not decent, but um, a fun night, a watchable night for performances alone. I mean, the Cardi B and, and Megan Thee Stallion, you know, uh, performance, which is apparently causing Fox News because they have nothing else to talk about, um, you know, sort of heart attacks and cold sweats, but you know. I, I did probably skip around a little bit of that with my daughter being 10 on some of the performances, but like at the same time, like it was pretty awesome and like those are fun and, and good and, and the high performance was good. And, and, you know, I think, um, I don't really know Doja Cat very much, but my, my daughter's do. I thought her performance was really good. You know, yeah, I, I think post and it totally acting the rock of ages, Def Leppard video from, <laughs> yeah, <post-mon. laughs> yeah. And uh, I still don't know what rock he crawled out from under, but um, but yeah, it, it, there's like a, um, you know, in in Taylor there's Swift doing her best, like uh, you know, Lord of the Rings D and D reenactment with the uh, <laughs> with two <Trister>. <laughs> and, uh, But I mean, it's it's. I think what's funny is like you know the awards just matter so little on the Grammys versus. Correct. Uh, the Oscars and and probably Golden Globes to some extent, even though the Golden Globes probably matters a little less, just because you do get some ridiculous shit there too. But I, I was just kind of combing through the winners because I couldn't remember them from night of minus Megan Thee Stallion and winning that. But you know, you really just have some just funny, weird shit in there, and and the categories are just you know so silly. It's like best pop vocal, best wasn't there best melodic rap? Yes, you know, best rock performance. And I mean, this is rock performance, just to give you an idea. And, you know, Fiona Apple won for Shamika, which is a song we love and, and dig. But the nominees are Not by Big Thief, Kyoto by Phoebe Bridges, The Steps by Haim, and Stay High by Brittany Howard, and then Daylight by Grace Porter. This isn't best female performance, by the way. It's also rock. And then, um, you know, you get best rock album totally different sounds and bands the strokes winning which is hilarious uh fontaine's dc you know uh, michael uh how do you say his last name kiwanuka who we like a lot you know grace porter sound sturgill sound and fury you know it's just like Mm -hmm. how do you have a best rock performance song that has and then the album none of those song none of those albums that those songs are on are nominated you know it doesn't make any sense yeah for best you know and not to dwell on rock it just happens to be what's like up on my screen right now but it, it's kind of funny we did have a uh a friend of the podcast that um won a grammy the other night i'm not sure if you're aware of that but bob Mayer, uh author of trouble boys won for best liner notes for dead man's pop ah, i did not know that that's great cool mm. and that's like yeah i mean as a um as far down as that was probably run through the you know speed i think it was probably given up the, the day end. before yeah yeah definitely like then they do the hollywood you know special effects thing when they do at a ceremony previously <laughs> earlier in the weekend yeah um, exactly but you know it, it and he deserved it and it was uh it, it's a that's a big deal i mean the guy's a grammy winner now it's kind of cool. yeah no that's awesome and we're great 
uh, author and, and uh, friend of the, like you know if you ever want to go back and listen to our, our wins actually excellent interview with um, with him on Trouble Boys um, it's I think two of the episodes that split into two parts that we're most proud of so awesome congratulations Bob um, but yeah you want to take a quick break and we'll come back and yeah talk about let's Oscar uh, let's go out with Megan Distallion the best new artist of 2020 and uh, we'll come back and talk about the Oscars. Real hot girl shit. And if the beat live, you know Lil Juke made it. Body yadi 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 Body crazy curvy wavy big titties little weight. Body crazy curvy wavy big titties little weight. Body yadi 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 Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod, and today uh, it's Wynn and I, um, although Wynn has um, confirmed that Christian is still alive I, I, and wandering I, I, the earth. I put eyes on but, Christian this weekend, so. <laughs> so um, next up, we're kind of talking award shows and, and, and the age of uh, COVID as we, as we are hopefully racing towards uh, the end of COVID here um, with people getting yeah, vaccinated. Me- and For me, the Oscar, the Oscar Sorry, nominations were kind of a weird, uh, they kind of dropped at a weird time, um, and it was a weird year, you know? I didn't... I neither yeah, I have, I have I some kind of questions this around this, and just for our listeners who don't know, when it's a day job is screenwriting and, and works in, in Hollywood and producing and writing, so, um, you know, bi-coastal in the sense of Boston and L.A., but heading out to L.A. tomorrow, right? So, um yep. You know, interesting kind of thing is is you both get all the screeners being in the in um, the Writers Guild, Guild, and then also um, you know are just a, a movie freak in general or a buff. Um, and you know, I definitely am a big movie fan, but I've not seen everything here. But man, this was sort of like a a silent uh, you know somebody somebody drops a silent fart and walks away. It was like there was no. No hoopla over the Oscars whatsoever. Am I wrong, or was I not paying enough attention? Or uh, a little bit of both. I mean, I think yeah. it's just you know, I think the combination of nobody having seen a movie in a theater in a year, um, that the um, you know the expedited now transition from theaters to streaming. Um, you know, those are two storylines. I think people are sitting on their on some of their bigger. Uh, titles and trying to wait out the uh, pandemic so that they can be seen in theaters, and um, you know the it, so basically you got a you got kind of a I mean not that not the most Oscar year you know Kong versus Godzilla isn't going to get nominated next year I can say with a degree of confidence, but these are particularly you know it is a particularly quiet uh, set of films that was nominated um, you know there's yeah so. Best picture you have the father. Did you see that? I have not seen it yet. Okay. Judas and the Black Messiah, which we both saw. Check. Mank, which we both okay. saw. Minaria. Am I saying Minari. that correctly? Minari, sorry. Which I did not see. Christian saw and, and had really high 
uh, yeah, praise it. for. Did you see that one yet? I have not. Okay. I, Nomadland, I we both saw Promising Young Woman, Sound of I've Metal, seen, The Trial of the Chicago seen, 7. Yeah, yeah so the all. last bunch. But two, and, and I would throw, uh, you know, Best Director, Tom Thomas Vintenberg, um, for yep. another round. Another round. Another round this weekend, which I really liked. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think a couple things here. One was there was limited theater release and streaming, right? So, I mean, yep. there's a really good uh, Oscars ringer pod recently with Bill Simmons and um, your friend and friend of the pod, Wesley Morris, who... Um, you know, I think really laid out the issues with streaming, like these kind of, um, I guess what you would call like high art films, right? It, and one of them is it just really gets lost in the mix. Like you don't know, you and I were talking about this during the Link Letter pod where like, you know, we were talking about Rushmore and, and um, Days and Confused and being early to those. And I think part partially was because you were reading things like maybe The Village Voice or New York Times or, or whatever, and, and catching magazines. some sort, yeah, some sort of hype on a movie early, and, and there was anticipation. This is a, a new world, and I don't don't think this is uh, going anywhere. Where it just sort of gets dropped into a mix of a million, you know, mediocre documentaries and, and you know half baked uh, series and things like that. And and what do you think of that whole? that whole take and, and do you think that's kind of like the future or do you think that that's something that, that I think it really affected a lot of these movies in a negative way personally well I might have still had some anticipation like watching Nomadland I saw it the day it came out because uh, you know I'd read I'd read and seen a fair amount about it um, you know then something like Return of the Chicago or uh, Trial of Chicago 7 you know I I watched the day it came out and didn't feel like a movie to me you know, I mean, no. I, well, I don't think it's a very particularly good movie either. Um, but it, you know, and it just has a lot of weird inconsistencies. But um, I but just, I guess what I'm getting at is the point. Sorry to interrupt, but I totally hear you on Nomadland, and I had actually caught some buzz on that early too, or it looked good. But there used to be sort of a consensus, right? That that say somebody like you know you're going to be tuned in, somebody like myself who's partially tuned in could get a little bit of guidance, you know, yep. from people you respect. And I feel like that's kind of gone. Like, my guidance now comes from, like, a, you know, I've seen something or, you know, hearing it from you or, or a friend or something. Yeah, there's usually more of a movement towards a movie, I think, or, a, um, you know, a sort of momentum that builds behind Yeah, something. I was going to say almost lobbying, really, for yeah. movies. Well, I mean, there used to be, to be pretty nakedly lobbying and still is. I mean... You know, they're the the Oscar campaign. I mean, I don't think that's at its pinnacle now. I think it was at its pinnacle in the early two the late nineties, early two thousands with the Weinstein's and Miramax. But you know, the, yeah, there's definitely um, you know a push, and you know, you can just tell from. I mean, I can tell from the screeners I get. You know, who has aspirations to be awarded or to uh, you know to sort of you know who's trying to ferret out awards. Um, it's. You know, so I think we're, I, you know, I think there's a couple of beloved movies here, but I don't think there's uh, a, a strong consensus. Um, you know, Parasite came out of nowhere last year. Um, yeah. You know, just because it was unprecedented, there had never been a foreign language film that took it before, although the artist was, um, to some degree, a foreign film. Uh, but yeah, this year, Minari... 
and I almost feel like Minari is going to be hurt by the parasite thing, you know, yeah, uh, where it's you know they don't want to have two foreign language films in a in a row. I think Nomadland is kind of the consensus number one right now. Um, Probably, I mean, and I have not seen all of these, like I mentioned, but it's certainly my my favorite of the ones I have seen. Yeah, but it's an elegiac movie that you know the. Under ordinary circumstances, you know, you it would be a kind of obscure, and I would be, you know, ringing the bell for it. Instead, it's yeah. it's a, a front runner, and it feels like it's too small for that. Well, that's um, the thing I was going to actually mention too. Is usually there's one or two like massive movies, whether you like them or not. So whether it was, uh, you know, Dunkirk type style, or you know, or it was uh, you know things like that. Nineteen seventeen, yeah. yeah, that kind of come out and are big and and epic, and you know. Um, there's none of that here in my mind. Like the trial of the Chicago Seven would probably be like the biggest, just because of the amount of actor, the ensemble cast to me, or um, you know, Mank was you know super insider, terribly boring. I thought um, Mank was positioned to be, you know, the juggernaut, and it just isn't. People don't not, like it that it, much. It's boring. <laughs> I'm sorry, and um, and it's so insider Holly. You know what I mean? It's that kind of like. It's the movie about movies, and I don't. Yeah. I tend not to like that that much unless it's a really interesting story, and it, it just wasn't. Um, you know, wasn't we both thought yeah. Judah and the Black Messiah could have been better, um, mm-hmm. and had its moments, but wasn't. You know, kind of if what it, we hoped it had been. Didn't feel like a. You know, none of these felt big enough to me. Should I try Chicago? Yeah, and I mean, Sound of Metal, Judas. which I, I really liked too. I agree with you. It was kind of Nomadlandish to me. It's it's very small. Yeah, I love. Sound of Metal. But, you know, to me, Trial of Chicago 7 and Judas and the Black Messiah both had, um, and also One Night in Miami, for that matter, you know, they all had this, um, they all had this opportunity to be epic, but weren't. Right. I mean, they've got, you know, you're talking about real life uh, occurrences, and none of them felt big enough to, to absorb the history that they're trying to represent. No, and I think, yeah, there were some issues with Chicago 7. Like you said, it felt more like a TV um, series. or, or like TV a, productions to me. Yeah, exactly. And then I think Judah and the Black Messiah just really focused on the wrong things in my mind, you know, and, and uh, I actually, you know, agreed with, with Morrison Simmons on that same pod where it was sort of like if you were going to go into the the story of the, you know... Fred Hampton, um, yeah. Fred, you know, Fred, then go into the story and don't sidetrack it with stuff that just isn't as important. Um, yeah, they always feel like they need a platform to tell the story. So they need, like, a, a you know, a story, you know, like a structure to absorb uh, the heat of, of a, you know, of a um, meteoric personality like that. And the fact is, the you know, the FBI piece of it gets kind of muddled and yeah or, or have the fbi piece be a true kind of um conflict for the person it, it was almost just like a plate it was like a, a way to tell a story instead of really getting like in depth with it yeah. yeah um i mean there's no other you know for best director you know you really like you said thomas vindenberg with another round which you mentioned i think the rest are, are pretty pretty standard here you got um you know, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, um, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, David Fincher for Mank, who we both like a lot, um, but didn't love that movie, and then Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. I think that the leading the ro- role, you know, I would certainly say for best actor, I mean, who who do you think stands out? Well, we haven't seen Minari yet, but who do you think stands out there? 
the best for actor? The director. Oh, for director? I think Chloe Zhao will win. Um, yeah, I think, I think that movie was beautiful. Yeah, and it, it has an epic, for, some, for a story that's so small, it does have kind of an open, and I also, you know, it, it goes in with that, uh, you know, the, I always point this out, that, um, you know, I'm a sucker for, and there's a very obscure uh, kind of, or, you know, very narrow kind of uh, um, description, but I'm, I'm a sucker for foreign-born directors who are discovering the the grand scale of the United States. Um, you know, I think Ang Lee has always had that fascination. I think uh, Wim Wenders, going back to, like, Paris, Texas, you know, it, they shoot this country in a way that you could only shoot it if you're not American, like if it's fascinating Yeah, the, land, the vast landscape. Yeah. Paris, I mean, Texas is about... actually a good comparison comp in the sense, too, that it's hard to nail both the things you said yeah the vibe or the actual like um yeah the the realness of, of a character or something like paris texas does a, a good job of that it's as does also an incredibly patient movie like nomadland is yeah nothing you know nothing's going on but it's uh it's a quality hang and paris texas is one of my favorite movies of all time i mean i think you know the everything about it i mean it's got so many it's so heart wrenching. It's so beautiful. It, the music is amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody's ever looked as beautiful as Natasha Kinski does in that movie. Um, yeah, it's a great, great movie. And the Ry Cooter soundtrack. It's just a. It's it's a really um, and it's so slow and requires patience. And and that goes back to you know I mean I saw that in the movie theater. Well, that's the other thing, too, is we shift from movie theater to living room. A movie like Mank is really hard for me to sit still in, you know? And uh, where I'm I'm in a movie theater, I don't know that I would like that movie anymore in the movie theater. Think about Paris, Texas, if you hadn't seen it before. You might have paused it after 25 minutes of wandering in the desert. Yeah, I would have, you know, and or, or you know, some of those movies that are you take a little more patience that you want somebody that you, uh, you know, a girlfriend or spouse or boyfriend or whatever or friend to enjoy and you know it's so much harder on you know at home than it would be if you both went to the movies you know and you kind yeah, of if you're three screening it and you know if you've got your phone out and blah 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 and you know Dean, yep. you know harry dean stands rummaging around in the desert in a dialogueless first 20 20 minutes or whatever and and uh you know, you you like oh, I'm gonna hit. You know, are you? This is kind of boring. You wanna you wanna watch something else? You know. Exactly. Um, I'm gonna call out a couple things that you know for best actor. I really thought Riz Ahmad was in Sound of Metal was excellent. Um, we've liked him since it was Night of, right? That he was in the HBO. Yeah, Riz Ahmed, and also Nightcrawler. He was the assistant. That's right. Yep, he was the. Yeah, you know, sadly Chadwick Boseman died this year, and that was really kind of shocking, uh, given the circumstances. I mean, you know, that he had had a multi-year battle Battle. with cancer that he had kept pretty. I mean, uh, I didn't know about it, which doesn't mean that you know. I mean, he wasn't whispering things in my ear, but um, I did. I felt like most people didn't know that that was the case. No, that was a big surprise, and he's with uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom nominated. I'm pretty sure that you know, given those circumstances, it's not it's not going to be um, the usual evaluation. You know, it's obviously going to take on such a 
that's going to take on such a premium in that or such an importance in that. I would race I would that. agree with you that the Oscars have a tendency to really fuck those things up. <laughs> so I could see Gary Oldman winning for Mank again or something. Yeah. Or Anthony Hopkins for the father. Um, I think Daniel Kailua was captivating. I thought he, you know, despite the movie being relatively mediocre, I thought he was phenomenal in that role in Jason yeah. Black Messiah. Um, but he's, is he on in for supporting or for... No, he's, su- yeah, so supporting is Sasha Bear Cohen, um, yeah, Daniel uh, Kalua, Leslie Odom Jr. for one night, and then uh, the guy who I thought, again, was really great and was um, Paul Ricci, is that how you say his name? Yeah, Paul Ricci. Yeah, and he was Sound of Metal, played the sort of deaf, um, uh, I guess, rehabilitation Counselor. center guy. Yep. Yeah, and I then, thought he was phenomenal. Lakeith Stanfield. So you have two from, um, yep, Jude and the Black Messiah. Yeah, and uh, Carrie Mullet for Best Actress, Frances McDormand, who I thought was excellent. Um, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andra Day for United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of Woman. Carrie Mullet. Which was a great performance in a terrible movie, Pieces of Woman. Yep, yep. You really did not like that one. I did not see it. Then Carrie Mulligan, obviously, for Promising Young Woman. Yeah, and I think she's uh, excellent. I think that movie is, you know, uh, a little flaw is flawed, but it was a, it was a, how do I say this without, you know, sounding terrible? It was, I thought it was an entertaining film. Um, yeah. Despite it, you know, the subject matter being what it is, um, doesn't sound like it should be enjoyable, but it, it's, it's, I think it's dark and, and sly and, and good. And she's fantastic. Um, I found some of the, you know, some of it was difficult to logically patch together when you look yep. back at it as a, as a whole. But, um, you know, I liked individual component pieces of it. Yeah, she's really become, you know, A-list, A-plus list she's actress. The most, she's one of the most reliable over. She yep. and, I mean, look at this category. I mean, she, Frances McDormand, Viola Davis. Yep. I mean, they are the most reliable. Like, you just know you're always going to get Yeah, they're never bad, even despite the the content that they're, they're performing Kirby in. Will, will probably wind up being addition to that list because, uh, um, you know, like I said, she she ripped that through that movie. That movie was really hard. It was really flawed and... and uh, you know, Shia LaBeouf, like I said, <laughs> appeared to be in a completely different film, um, character-wise and acting-wise, uh, than uh, Ellen Burstyn and Vanessa Kirby. And I felt badly that uh, that they came to that because there was again, uh, Vanessa Kirby is a is an A plus in a in a you know C minus movie. So based on kind of what they nominated. Give me a couple of things here. So what do you, uh, do you think they missed anything incredibly? I mean, most years they miss something. Um, I think Another Round is a, is a really interesting movie. Um, you know, it's again, about, it's, it's, I don't know it's a foreign it. language film. Oh, you have to see. I mean, this is a movie that is, you know, uh, speaks to us. Um, it is about a group of middle-aged professors. Oh, I do, yeah, who who decide to drink. (laughs) Yes, who decide that the best parts of their life are are when they've had a couple of drinks, so they 
they go through this experiment trying to maintain a point. Like a buzz, right? Blood alcohol <laughs> content. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I do want to see that. You know what's funny, though? That goes back to my thing with things just getting kind of dropped, right? So, like, yeah. I like I didn't know, Thomas I didn't know. Wittenberg. I mean, the actors. Who's the main actor in that? It's Ma- um, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, who I really enjoy. Who I, love. I do, too. I think he's awesome. And, like... And I'm like, oh, that could be good, or it could just be one of the million movies that are on my, you know, uh, streaming service that I have no idea are good or bad these days. And, well, put and it maybe this that's way. on me. I'm like, maybe I'm not reading enough these days, but I, I don't know. Well, put it this way. I, I have been dying to see that movie and only realized this weekend that it was actually already on Hulu. Okay, thank you. So at least in terms of the sense that you're somebody that reads up on it, um, you know, you still didn't know where to find it or that it was kind of out. And, and it's such a mix of stuff. That, that's funny. And even, you know, it's, as we were kind of saying, you just said you just saw it. I didn't, I've seen the preview and I've seen it on Hulu and I didn't realize that it was the it same might be, it, we might be, about. it might be one of the greatest uh, Danish alcoholism movies of all time. Cool. Yeah, I'm totally in. Great. So aside from that as best picture, which, you know, I think you could probably say, 50-50 there, right? I mean, even if it is great, I'm not shocked that that's not on the best picture. Yeah, it's list. a Danish. It's a Danish movie about a weird subject. Yeah. Um, uh, in an almost entirely male cast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it is funny. I mean, it's dark about aging. Um, but it is. Uh, I highly recommend it. But it it yeah. There's nothing else that really. I mean, other than you know, my favorite documentary of the year was not nominated, which doesn't shock me the, do- the documentary wing of the academy is always uh sort of operates differently than than the rest so that i think they really um i certainly won't be the first person to ever say this i think they they don't reward popularity uh they they in fact they if it's popular with the general public it ten- tends to be discounted by the academy as, as far as i can tell yeah, they always um, seem but, to go kind of big, um, international, and um, almost like National Geographic. I feel well, they're like. they're they're you know that's generally speaking you know uh, social benefit and uh-huh. and social message is uh, you know very important, and I understand that that's a you know documentarian uh, documentarians sort of aim for that, um, and it's how a lot of these messages get out. You know, otherwise, you know underserved populations and un, under uh, reported um, stories are, are very, you know, rely on documentary filmmakers to unearth them. So I get it. But I loved Boys State. Yeah, I thought Boys State was excellent. And uh, I think that actually is a miss. Um, I'll agree with you there because I, I feel like I, popular or not, it, it was actually pretty relevant for I would vote for that for Best Picture, frankly. Yeah, I would too. And I also would say, like, I thought it was pretty relevant, you know? Yeah. Um, It wasn't something that was, you know, kind of one of these more obscure ones. I thought it was socially relevant in a lot of ways. I I 100% agree with you. But I do think it was popular and, you know, kind of... um, It didn't fit the mold necessarily for, uh, quote-unquote, importance. Yeah. What was your favorite film this year? In a kind of, uh, I think we both agree that most movies we liked were small, not, or, you know, didn't blow us out of the water, but there are some good ones. I'd say Boy State was my favorite. 
Um, I watched it three times the first nice. two weeks it came out. <laughs> and uh, I would throw... Uh, I really like Nomadland, and I really like Another Round. Yeah. I haven't seen Minari yet, and Christian says that's the best movie of the year. I feel stupid doing this without having seen Minari yet, but I just haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. I just haven't had time, but it's on my list. And uh, I think for initially, too, it was wicked. Like, they were charging a bunch to rent it. And I was yeah, it's a, it's a part of that weird structure now. I mean, it, it comes yeah. out. It's Somehow I'm Scott, I'm like, ooh, twenty ninety nine. I'm not buying that. When I know, fact, even I would, though you I would spend that on a movie ticket. But, you, yeah, I do think there is a difference. I think there needs to be, I don't know, whatever. I don't find sitting in my living room I want to pay that, which is weird. Yeah, um, I get it. I think for me, yeah, Boy State, I would put up there for sure. I really liked Sound of Metal. Um, I, I saw too. it early on without kind of knowing that it would be an Oscar movie or not. Um, and I just, I don't know, there was, yeah, the ending of that movie really hit me in, in a good way. Like, it didn't fuck up, um, which I really appreciate. I, and it was also kind of uh, dealing with kind of a number of, of subjects that I think people tend to go overboard with or, or tend to kind of go extreme with. Um, also my ex-father-in-law has had some hearing issues and I thought, you know, God, it really kind of captured what that could be like, which is tough. Um, and, you know, sort of gave you some empathy in, in that sense too. But, but more than that, I thought it just sort of didn't go over the lines that were very much no. there. Um, and then, gosh, Nomadland. Yeah, I think Nomadland was just a, a slice of life movie, short story, whatever you want to call it, in the sense of like something that I really like. I, it gave me, uh... Again, it didn't go over the lines, you know. It sort of gave you a, a picture of, of a, you know, Americana slice of life with, you know, a real actor and then probably not, not um, you know, not actors, non-actors as I'd well. I'd like to raise a, an interesting question, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. How much of Nomadland is, is documentary and how much of Boy State may, might have been a little bit scripted? Yeah, that's true. We can expose that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, I, I just thought it kind of... And I, I will say all of the movies this year that I've seen, again, I didn't... There's two glaring ones for me. Um, were very insular, which was definitely a sign of the times. Like, they, you know, or sign of this year, I should say. Like, uh, And who knows? Maybe these movies were being made way before this year. Or maybe it's just the ones that got released um, based on the kind of feeling. But we've all felt, I think, somewhat claustrophobic this year. And I think even though Nomadland is about not being claustrophobic, it still was very small and, you know, and, and, and tight okay. in a way that kind of gave you that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my did least not favorites. not make me want to live in an RV. No, definitely not. I'm not interested in, in the, the RV life. Um, but, you know, hey, go for it. Um, I will say one of the most overrated movies that uh, I had been to see that you guys Definitely didn't, but again, due to my kids, is, is Soul, the Pixar thing. And I've really actually enjoyed Pixar stuff last few years. Um, I think they do a, a good job and, and, you know, kind of obviously with, with kids and, and adults. It just was bad. It wasn't good. Um, mm. And got a lot of hype and is also nominated. But anyways, should we, uh, do you want to have anything else to add on the Oscars? Who's hosting this year? Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Last year they went hostless, and I, I don't know if they're doing. I, I don't know if, if they're doing it again. Them. Yeah. Maybe Kimmel. I don't know. I love the fact that like yeah, it's it's really just kind of like a meh. Um, yeah. But we we will we will watch <laughs> either way. 
Um, and like and like I said, I you know I'm not a big Trevor Noah fan because I just don't think he's that funny. But I actually thought he did pretty. He did an able job as a host. He's pretty. I, I find him pretty good facilitator. Um, to seem like a really great guy, I think that uh, he's he's good at what he does. But I agree with you, especially for the Daily Show, which was a show that was I thought very funny at one point. He's just not very funny. He's not great at landing jokes, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But I thought he did a great job too, and I thought he was the kind of, that guy's that type of guy is actually pretty good for these types of shows mm-hmm. because you know I although I enjoy a, a Ricky Gervais or something you know tearing up up the audience it just it, these people don't like to be made fun of they want the no, which they is want what their made friend Ricky Gervais so great <laughs> yeah, which is why I loved him is what I'm saying but but as far as you know just kind of moving things along I think uh, Trevor Noah did a nice job and and was good um, should we go out on a, uh, a a tune for the Oscars and then uh, and then come back. Yeah, you want to play something from Soul? I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> actually, the uh, I, I the year I, I don't even know what to what to put up. Let's let's uh, throw up a little. Let's go out with the uh, Paris, Texas, Ry Cooter soundtrack, Damien. If we can find that. <laughs> episode the way we end every episode which is uh jer what are you listening to what am i listening to so um i just had spring break sorry i've been talking about my my kids a bunch this episode but i just spent um seven days with them on their spring break so um and we were kind of landlocked due to covid although luckily I had some nice weather here in boston and got out a bit but uh, i ended up watching the billy eilish uh documentary um everything looks blurry or on and uh, on Apple TV, um, and it was interesting to kind of watch and and with them and you know it's uh, rated R so it was, you know I had to kind of fast forward a couple of the things but mainly just for swearing um, which they probably hear from me more than music even these days but like uh, you know it's just funny to see this new kind of um, super talented her brother and her talented very you know sort of uh, kind of untraditional I guess homeschooled family out in L A. But also just you forget sometimes when these people are so big how young they are. Mm. Um, and somebody who kind of, you know, released singles over the internet and then the movie really kind of tracks her making the album, even though being already playing shows and having a lot of success on the internet and sort of the persona that, that kind of follows you. And, and um, you know, a couple of things that stood out to me is, A, her commitment to fans, which is actually pretty incredible and hard to do when you're that famous. And having just watched the Britney Spears doc, can go incredibly wrong too. Um, and then secondly, you know, 
just the ability to make music in your bedroom and get it out there is, is pretty unique and interesting. And, and, and she's good. I mean, there's definitely, it's, it's good stuff. But then also she's like 16, 17, right? You know, and there's just moments where you're like, in my, you know, 43 year old self wants to be like, shut up or like, you know, uh, but you're like, yeah, it's a kid, you know, um, it thrust into a pretty unique situation. And so I I was pretty impressed. I thought it was better than I thought it would be. And, and, um, enjoyable for, uh, for the girls for sure. And, uh, yeah. And then I watched on my own after hours, the DC punk doc salad days, which I'd never seen. Um, Christian having grown up in DC is a big, proponent of DC hardcore and discord in general I think you I know you went to college with a guy from Dagnasty and things like that so um I obviously liked Fugazi and and some of those bands um I've come back to bands like you know started to think a little bit and and uh Right to Spring was never really my scene but um I did really just it it was a time period that I do remember and something that just one of those things that just can't happen again you know and the sort of perfect storm of, um, you know, the DIY. And I think Discord was just really instrumental in, in allowing people to, to realize they could kind of buck the system a little bit, do it themselves, and, and have a career and, and successful and be successful and, and have a message. And so, um, plus the music yeah. was, was cool. I mean, there's a lot of good music that came out of that. So it was, it was a cool doc. Yeah, I like the story and the characters probably more than the than the music from that scene but I, I you know I appreciate that it was it was it was you know absolutely uh, you know groundbreaking what they did down there um, back then so it's kind of, you know I, I think I root for those guys it's cool yeah and I think yeah, too like, just knowing DC and, and you know the Ian McKay says it pretty well like it's a small city right you know and, and so it was kind of a, a very small area that had a big impact mm-hmm. yeah no i agree well i've been in uh keeping with my recent scandinavian uh fascinant fixation <laughs> i have been w- watching both bear town and a show that was recommended to me on acorn called wisting yeah w-i-s-t-i-n-g which is a norwegian you know what they call Scandinavian noir. It's a Norwegian like cop show. Um, it's actually really good. You know, they, cool. from the people who brought us the bridge and, and, you know, various, you know, the Stieg Larsons and Joe Nesbos of the world. Um, you know, they, they, they're, a, they're a very, um, uh, dark people. There's a lot of, uh, there's yeah. a lot of basements. There's with some, a lot there's of people some fat on the underbelly down there. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a strange culture, but they're fascinated with the macabre, and uh, they do a good job uh, with uh, you know telling those kinds of stories. And so it's yeah, I've uh, and it's Bear, funny. I'm up to date on Bear Town too. I enjoy that. It's good. Yeah, Wisting is um, actually you know it's interesting because like uh, Carrie Ann Moss of from you know from uh, the Matrix is in this, and and one thing the other thing that you know Scandinavians have. A talent for is, is language um you know there's a lot of a lot of the actors in like game of thrones or scandinavian they they can speak they speak english so well or the you know education system puts such an emphasis on it that i don't know any scandinavians that don't speak english as if they came from england or america mm-hmm. um and uh so it it actually allows you to integrate 
um, English language into it. There's a very limited amount of that in Beartown where they swear in English all the time. Um, right. But there's all. But in this, it's sort of a FBI, um, you know, Interpol uh, coll- collaborative investigation, and and you know the Americans who come over speak English the entire. So it's you know if you are if you have fear of subtitles that should alleviate it a little bit. Um, yeah, no, but yeah, good cool. show. Cool. Well, um, do you want to end this? How we? Uh, or sorry, we just did the what are you listening to? So do you want to uh, throw a couple songs on the uh, never ending playlist? I sure do. If you know, you know. Is is that on there? Uh, Pusher T. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because I I've been listening to the the playlist. A little bit as I've been driving around New England, and uh, I, it just hasn't come up. So I think maybe on your six or yeah six hour flight to LA tomorrow, you, you might come up. Truly, um, what go so? Um, you go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig. Okay, so yeah, sorry to throw you off there. I'm gonna go with um, you know as, as as I watched the DC thing, the the term emo and emotional hardcore came up and. A term I never knew in real time or cared to know, and I, I dislike immensely, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but there was bands around that era that I, I just kind of didn't realize were grouped into that, maybe Jawbreaker and, and bands like that, or, or that kind of influenced what became sort of emo. In fact, there was a club in Austin I used to go to called Emos, which I, I had no idea if that name was connected or not. Um, horrible name, if it was, but great club. So just kind of going back to that, that uh, sorry, late 90s, um, early 2000s, and I, I, got, I went on a Modest Mouse kick, and uh, I, there's like a couple of records by them that, that just really kind of accentuated time, place, and feeling, and um, one is a collection of singles, um, building something out of nothing, um, and the song that I want to throw on the playlist, which I think might be a little obscure for you and Christian, but it, I think is a great freaking song, it's called Broke, so I'm doing uh, Broke by Modest Mouse. Is it on Lo- Lonesome Crowder West? No, it's on the, the collection of singles, which is all tracks from around the same time. So it's uh, it's it's um, called Building Something Out of Nothing. Was the, the It actually plays like a, pr- a pretty good album by them, but it's, mm-hmm. it's all singles and, and, and stuff that came out around that time from like K Records and things like that. Cool. Cool. Well, I'm going to And go it kind of sums up what I think they do well, like lyrically and, and guitar-wise. I'm going to go further into the Wayback Machine to the early 80s in Los Angeles and throw on the Plimsolls, Million Miles Away. Oh, great one. Yeah, nice. Cool. All right. Well, um, maybe we can have an Oscar party now that you're vaccinated. Or, and, yeah. Um, we can uh, have a recap. I will. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.